Hello everyone and welcome back. Welcome to another Monday. I am very tired. We've got some changes coming to the podcast now recently. I have made our old intro song into the trailer and I am in the works of getting a new intro but um, have not had the time to complete that yet. So we've got some changes coming ahead. All good things and I, I don't really have the energy to be podcasting right now but you know what? I've got people depending on me to get this content out. So here we are. Welcome back. So I have a lot of things that I really do want to say and get out into the world about both Ashley Tisdale and Taylor Swift. But you know, I really want to do those segments justice. So I think I'm going to table those and I'm just going to kind of relax and talk to y'all about two of my favorite things and that is animals and biology today. So we're going to we're going to get our backpacks on. We're going to walk to class. Welcome to animal behavior. I'd like to start this class out by saying don't get rid of or resent your anxious thoughts. Rather, welcome them to your mind. We're constantly told that anxiety is a bad emotion. People go to therapy for years and years and pay countless dollars to quote unquote get rid of their anxiety. It's not bad. It's biological. It's innate. We need the feeling of anxiety to protect us when a threat arises so that we can take action to stop the situation that is causing our anxiety. We don't need to stop the anxiety itself. We need to thank it for saving us from danger. Now, I have one experience I can share from just yesterday. I'm out walking this dog and there's a man that starts following me and he's getting pretty close and, you know, it's not like the good vibes usually feel like, oh, this is a friend, this is a neighbor, I'll catch up on Thanksgiving with him. No, Th these were bad vibes I was like receiving. And I start speeding up and he speeds up with me. And so I'm like, oh shoot, like here I am with somebody else's dog. I don't know what's gonna happen. And so we pass an apartment complex and I get this dog so excited. I'm like, oh my God, buddy, like we're going home. Are you excited to go home? Like, let's go home. And I book it, like I run with this dog to an apartment complex and I look back in the corner of my eye. I don't look at this man. I like look in my peripheral. Like I look at a tree and then I can see him. He stands there and he's just staring at us. And I make sure that I'm out of his view. And then I kind of like creep around the corner and look at where he's going. Cause I want to know like where he went. And he ended up just going back down the sidewalk and I think he moved on. But I then I stayed there for like 10 minutes in this like random apartment complex, like walking around just to make sure he was gone. But I had a feeling of really bad anxiety. I'm like, I, I don't know what's gonna happen. We might get hurt. And so you gotta act on that. You gotta use your anxious thoughts and you have to know what to do about them. I once took a class in college specifically called animal behavior. It was very niche. The animal kingdom has been using anxiety as a survival strategy since the dawn of time. And aren't humans just with from what we think to be? more complex thoughts and processing systems that allow us to talk and communicate with each other? Or is our superiority to animals just our human ego talking? And that's, that might be my theory, but that's a topic for another day. So I took a lot out of that class, but one of the biggest things that stuck out to me was the unit on altruism. Animals can sense a good person when they see one, just like they can sense a bad person when they see one. And because they can't speak in words to tell you what they want or how they're feeling, 
They do this non-verbally or through the tone of their vocalization. They have absolutely no clue what you're saying, and you have no clue what they're saying. You could say, who's a good boy? in the sweetest, most loving terms, but if you say those same exact words while you yell in a negative tone, that animal is going to get, what? Anxious. It's going to be afraid. Now, I'm not sure what goes through animals' minds, but I would imagine it's like activating fight or flight mode in those circumstances. But anyways, the topic of altruism. Now, this is seen a lot in birds and ants and all kinds of animals, but animals speak in actions, and so they remember things. A bird will feed its babies and the babies remember who is loving and caring and providing for them. Food means love for animals and humans alike, as I'm sure you can all relate to. I did a research project on the activity budgets of the meerkats at the zoo near my undergrad back in my prime, and I learned that the meerkats are more closely knit than I thought. Now the sentinel duty changes based on who is feeling up for it that day. The group uses each other's strengths to their advantage. There is not one single leader, but a team of animals trying to survive together. Now for some reason, there are some humans that haven't grasped this concept yet. And so in this sense, I believe that our evolution is a little behind the animal kingdom, contrary to popular belief. An article from the National Aquarium that I will link in the description states, and I quote, evolutionary biologists determined that an animal's behaviors are altruistic when they benefit other individuals, even to the potential detriment of themselves. Species with complex social structures, like bees, ants, and termites, provide great examples of biological altruism. For example, they discuss bees, quote, for social insects, workers devote their lives to caring for the queen, which is the only member of the colony to reproduce. By limiting their own ability to reproduce, worker insects guarantee the longevity of the colony by supporting and protecting the queen and her brood. These altruistic behaviors increase the colony's chance of survival by promoting and safeguarding reproduction above all else. Now, I love biology, so I'm getting really excited here, but you can go read the rest of the article on your own time if you would like. This is a message to anyone out there who has a queen in their life. This is a woman or a man or whoever or whatever you are these days for that matter. Protect them at all costs. When you find a true queen, she needs to be supported. For example, when your wife is sick on the couch and all she wants is a treat from her favorite bakery in town, if you go get that for her in that moment, she will reward you tenfold. I don't mean to make this sound transactional because that's not what love is, but I have my biology hat on right now, I gotta be honest. It's altruism. It may be extra work for you that night, and maybe you're tired, maybe you had a long day at work, or you find some other excuse for me. I don't care. If you truly love the queen in your life, you will move mountains for her because you want to. There is a transactional happiness that comes from unconditional love that you don't come across every day. And when you find it, you need to protect it at all costs. You know who protected their queen? Now we're reversing gender roles here, but can we give it up for Camille Vasquez, who protected the f out of Johnny Depp during his defamation trial back in May. Welcome to this week's Where Are They Now segment. 
Now, let's start with our Queen Camille. Apparently, it was rumored that she was going to be representing Kanye West in his upcoming trial regarding his business interests. But from what people are believing, Camille said, no way Jose Kanye, amid his anti-Semitic remarks, among other things. Her firm then reportedly tried to work with Kanye without Camille and told him they'd get him a different lawyer, but he allegedly refused and fired the firm. No one is responding to the media for comments about this matter. Interesting. Now, Vasquez specializes in litigation and arbitration with a focus on plaintiff defamation cases. One article I read states that, quote, praise for Vasquez's aggressive and successful tactic in her cross-examination with actress Amber Heard are spreading online, particularly with Depp's fans, who called her a bad bitch and a Queen, I love it when I have a point first and the internet just proves me right. That's the best. Johnny Depp was recently seen in New York City after filming All Summer starring as the role of King Louis XV of France in the upcoming Netflix film La Favorite that is set to come out in February of next year. In addition to filming, he has been performing all over Europe with Jeff Beck. He is reportedly dating, but not exclusive, with Joelle Rich, one of the defense attorneys who represented him in his failed 2018 libel lawsuit against The Sun. So it seems like he's doing well. After being very publicly confronted with her web of lies in front of old unemployed me and the entire world to see on the live stream every day from 8 to 5, Amber Heard has reportedly fled the country and is now living in Spain under a pseudonym. And like, y'all, you know you've done some shady sh when you lose a case like this and your only option is to flee the country and change your name. And so she's now living in a small town of less than 2,000 residents and it's unclear what she's up to. However, there is plenty of speculation. One rumor has it that she plans to write a tell-all book about Johnny and she already considers her career in Hollywood to be over with, so she has nothing to lose with writing a memoir. Unconfirmed reports say she no longer has her role in Aquaman 2. While she's still listed as Mara on IMDb, rumors are surfacing that she's been replaced by actress Amelia Clark. And now, Clark fans online have been having fun photoshopping her over Amber onto promotional material for the movie, and I love that for them. When asked on the Today Show about whether Amber was able to pay the penalty that she was served in the defamation trial, her bozo attorney Elaine responded, and I quote, Oh no. Absolutely not. So Heard's net worth is now negative $6 million, according to Celebrity Net Worth. And this just goes to show you all, my friends, that true justice will always be served. Hello? Oh, I think that's my dad. I think he's calling because it's time for his segment. So this week we have a write-in question from our listener, Sydney. Now this is also an option. If you feel like you don't have the voice for radio, everyone, just email me any question you have for my dad, the life coach, to contact at keepingupwithkennedy.org and we'll get you in the queue and on deck to be answered. So Sydney writes, what are some tips and tricks for buying your first home? Hello, Kennedy. Hello, fans. And welcome to this episode of My Dad, the Life Coach. Add the drum roll. So today, Sydney brings a question to us. She's looking for some tips and tricks for buying her first home. That's probably something we've all wanted to do at some point in our lives. Maybe when we're younger, maybe when we're older. But we're going to work through this issue over the next couple of minutes. 
there's a lot of good reasons to buy a house. Buying a house can be very emotional, and that's kind of what we want to steer away from. Because before we talk about buying the house, let's talk about renting. There's actually a lot of good reasons to rent a house. I'm going to cover some of those now. Sometimes when you rent, you've got access to several amenities, maybe a pool, maybe a weight room, maybe things like that. Maybe you're looking for more flexibility in your life, where you live, where you work, things of that nature where you can be more mobile if you want to just rent for six months and then maybe you're going to go work across town or across state and it's easy to move it's a fixed amount your rent is set for however long your lease is usually a year so that's something when you're doing your budget for your finances you can rely on that set amount for that period of time renting also allows you to have flexibility to upsize or downsize as needed for whatever your life brings you. Maybe you have children, maybe you have animals or things that uh, change your lifestyle. And when you're renting, it's a lot easier to make those changes. So those are some practical reasons to rent. Let's talk about some financial reasons why we may just want to rent. First of all, we've got no maintenance or no repair bills, uh, which we'll cover in a minute in more detail. We have no real estate tax, no property tax, no down payment, that can be a huge amount of money. We don't have to pay mortgage insurance. And if we're going to rent for a while, rent is usually cheaper than owning that home for the first seven to 10 years. If you do your research, this is all available on a public domain and you can find out these very things. So before we talk about buying the new home, I just want everybody to understand that it is okay to rent. So let's talk about a few good reasons why to buy a home. First of all, if you plan to settle in one place for a long time, that's where it probably is a very good investment to buy a home because your home it generally will appreciate over time and be worth more when you're ready to move. Another thing that I think is pretty important, when you're renting, you can't always remodel the house or even decorate the house sometimes to your liking. When you own your own house, if you want to remodel it or knock down a wall or put up a fence for the dogs, you know, you can do that at your own will. Nobody's telling you you can't. So that's a very good reason, in my opinion, why you may want to own a home. You also have maybe more of a sense of community by buying your home because you've, uh, you've invested in the community in which you live and you're putting down roots for a more permanent place to reside. There's probably a lot of other good reasons to buy a home, but those were a few that were on my mind. One thing that we should probably talk about are some urban myths regarding buying a home. Ooh. So, uh, so, ooh, well, you need to put some sound effects in that one. Yeah. Urban myths. Mm -hmm. So one urban myth is that uh, a lot of people think that most people pay off their home and then live without a, a house payment for the rest of their lives. So it's and a myth. Is, it's a myth. I mean, that is true for for some people, it's true for about 35% of the mortgages in the United States, approximately 35% are paid off. And those people are living there without a house payment, but that's not it's far from the majority. So if you think you're going to purchase this home and have great plans to pay it off in 10 or 20 years and live rent free or payment free, that's a great goal. But at this point, I'm saying that's an urban myth because only 35% of Americans have achieved that. Ooh. 
Mm. Now, a, a second urban myth that I feel is a myth, people think that because they're told this in life, owning a home is going to make you happy. And when you're renting, if you're a renter that you're not happy, and buying a home brings happiness. And to me, that's an urban myth. Happiness comes from within. It doesn't come from possessions. So owning a home will not make you happy. Ooh. One more th other thing to think about. A lot of people believe that they're going to buy this house and it's going to take care of itself. You're not going to have to repair things. It's a new house or whatever. But uh, the statistics will tell you that the uh, average annual repair bill or maintenance bill for a $500,000 house is somewhere between $5,000 and $20,000 per year. So you're going to be spending money on your house every year you live there somewhere between probably $3,000 to $30,000 for the average house in the United States. That's something we need to keep in mind. And I believe a lot of people don't factor that in to their decision. Right. I'm in an apartment. I call it my maintenance guy. He just comes and drains my shower for me. You know? That's right. See, you just make a call. If you have to fix that yourself, you're going to call the local router and they're going to come out and they're going to charge you $350, dollars $500 to fix that drain. That's crazy. That's too much. But my final thought, my final urban myth is... It's kind of twofold. People believe that home purchasing is always a good investment and that renting is throwing away money. So purchasing a home is not always a good investment. Just take this last year, for example. If you would have bought a home nine months ago, that home is probably worth 10% less than you paid for it. So you've overpaid for your home and it's going to take many years to gain that back. So keep that in mind. It's not always a good investment. People think that renting is throwing away money. It's really not. Any way you look at it, you have to pay to have a roof over your head. Unless you're independently wealthy and can just go you know, buy a house cash, you're going to be paying every month. Keep that in mind, because there's always things you can do if you're renting to be sure you're investing. Instead of paying $20,000 a year for maintenance, how about we invest that money? Instead of paying $10,000 a year for property taxes, how about we invest that money? And we can, we can do some math and we can find out that sometimes renting can be just as lucrative as an investment as buying a house. So Sydney, you've heard enough of me rambling. What you really called in for was tips and tricks. So let's talk about that. We'll start with a few tips regarding uh, buying your new home. So my first tip would be to be sure you're ready to commit for at least five years. You know, make sure you, you're planning to stay in that location for at least five years and that should give you a best chance of making a solid investment in purchasing your home. Second thing, save for a down payment. Minimum you're going to need is probably 3%. It's always a good idea to have 20% down because that will avoid pricey mortgage insurance. Mm. Of course, you've probably heard this one, buy the cheapest house in the nicest neighborhood that you can. And I think that's a pretty solid tip for an investment standpoint. This next tip, I think is important, assuming you've got a spouse that you're going to be buying this house with or a roommate or whomever's going to be leaving in the house with you, create a list. The list should be a list of needs, a list of non-negotiable items, and then a list of nice to haves when you're looking at your house and write them down so you can evaluate each house to make sure that it fits your needs. Look at a lot of houses. Don't get emotional and think that the first one is the best fit. Look at many bring your checklist and look to find that perfect house. And once you do, Sydney, be confident 
when you submit your offer, put your best foot forward, but be prepared to walk if the seller won't meet your needs. That's right. I'm going to put tricks in perspective of the seller. So let's say the seller wants you to waive your inspection. That's pretty common these days. They don't want any strings attached. Don't waive your right to have an inspection. You don't know what could be wrong with the house unless you're buying a brand new house. That's the only time I would say waive your inspection rights because a brand new house will have a warranty. If you're buying a pre-existing house, do not waive your rights for an inspection. Another trick, the seller wants a lot of earnest money. Earnest money means that you and the seller agree on a purchase price and you walk out on the deal prior to closing, the seller gets to keep the earnest money that you've put in. $5,000 is a pretty reasonable amount, but I've seen sellers ask for twenty dollars or $30,000 or even 10 or 20% of the selling price of the home in earnest money. So if you do have to back out for any reason, you'll be out that money. Keep earnest money low. Okay, another trick, and this one hits home. Verify your square footage. And I'm going to tell a quick story here. Let me back up. So when you buy a house, it's always put in the perspective of it's so many dollars per square foot. You know, it's, if it's a 2,000 square feet house and you're paying $200,000 for the house, it's $100 a square foot. So verify your square footage. And the reason why I bring this up, we bought a house many years ago. Kennedy, I think you were about two or three and the house had a big cathedral ceilings in the entry and a very um you know two-story open big open entry and the uh house square footage looked smaller than what uh, was on the advertisement so the seller told us that because of the volume of the airspace in the entry where there was no floor, that that counted as square footage because it brought added value to the home. And I say that's a crock of BS. Those uh, square feet comes by floor space only. So don't get tricked into buying air. Right, square feet means I can put my feet on it. That's right. Another trick is people will often tell you to buy as much house as you can. That means max out to the very much that you can afford. Well, once you do that, who's going to pay that twenty or $30,000 maintenance bill every year? Who's going to pay your property taxes and things of that nature? So be a little cautious and don't overextend yourself. Don't get emotional because you see a house that you can technically on paper they say you can afford but uh in reality it's gonna strap you financially walk away from those opportunities and my final trick it's not really a trick but uh just don't go look at a house before you have a pre-approval on your financing so get that done first and then what if you find the house that you're looking for you can put an offer in that day and everybody knows you're pre-approved. So Sydney, I hope you found this helpful. And I hope Kennedy, I hope some of your listeners may have found this helpful. Buying a house can be a very rewarding experience, but it's not for everyone. If you're ready to commit, you understand the hidden costs and it won't max out your budget. Buying a home could be a good move for you. That's why you called My Dad the Life Coach. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Did you, did you think we were done? You guys know I have to wrap us up. Don't be fools out there. Should I bring Kay money back to the stage for this one? Or should we leave her in her cage? <laughs> Anyways, well, switching directions here, I've been feeling this immediate sense of urgency lately. I go through very vivid and distinct phases in my life, and I've felt very similar feelings to this before. I feel like time is running out. 
I don't feel like I'll ever get enough of it. I feel like something bad is going to happen, and I don't know what it is. Maybe the world's going to end tomorrow. I don't know. But all I do know is that I'm grateful to have woken up today. There are some out there that didn't get that privilege today. And for them, I have to use this time that I feel like I have stolen from them to all of our collective advantage. And I'm going to ask you to do the same for us all this week. And with that, we'll see you next Monday. Mm -hmm.